Hey, Jordan, you want to hear a fun fact? Uh, sure. Caffeine involved in a coffee bean with some of the greatest antioxidants on the planet. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Let, let, let me cut you off right there. I wasn't done. You see, green tea, another great source of caffeine, evolved with an entirely different set of antioxidants as well. Is this another brain fuel ad? Uh, yeah, it is. Oh, I mean, well, in that case, brain fuel takes the best of both worlds without the roast or heat that may reduce potency and increase toxicity. It support, it's supportive blends of fuels, antioxidants, and brain-boosting additives create a new paradigm for the effective delivery of caffeine. Not to mention, it is the best-tasting drink I've personally had in a while. To support the heroes who push society forward, challenge the status quo, and initiate a better tomorrow by providing them with the fuel to actualize their best self. If you want to help support our podcast and try Brain Fuel, use code DOME for 20% off your order at BrainFuel.com. That's code DOME, all caps, D-O-M-E, at BrainFuel.com, B-R-E-I-N-F-U-E-L.com for 20% off your order. Fun. Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Dome podcast. Um, hope you're having a great day at night. I'm recording this podcast at night following it's a Lakers win over the Knicks. It's I'm with um, my very special guest. He is a multiple time LA Sports Award winning journalist of the L. Uh, he is a 2020 Sports Writer Award for winner for the year 2019. Former Corwin Writing Script Award winner, Script Paul Lazarus Screenwriting Award winner. He. It, Joined NBC. He's an LA beat writer for covers a variety of teams. He started covering for the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2015, and is a, and has transcended his role as a Southern California columnist. Writes regularly about the Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Rams, the USC Trojans, and more. And my he's um, an editor now of the Sporting Tribune. Covers the Los Angeles Lakers on a daily basis. Michael J. Duarte. Michael, that's a, it's an honor for you coming on the podcast. That's quite an introduction, man. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that long list of accolades you you know listed off. That was uh, makes me feel old for <laughs> having <laughs> accomplished all that. I guess, but um, I definitely don't look at or feel it. But thank you, anyways, and I'm happy to be here and joining you. Uh, especially after a Lakers victory, because that's very rare when usually we're talking <laughs> after a Lakers game that it's happening after a victory. Wow. I mean, we were, we, yes. Um, so we're going to do something a little different on this podcast, by the way, I want to shout out my sponsor brain fuel, the best energy drink out there using my disc code dome 20% for 20% discount. Uh, so we, so instead of before we talk about your career, I guess we're doing like a little mini Lakers recap win. So they just beat the New York Knicks 129-123, and they've now improved to 24-28 on the year, and now 2-4 and four on the year in overtime wins. Their last overtime win came in November against New Orleans Pelicans, that Matt Ryan game. <laughs> I'm sure you remember that. Mm -hmm. uh, this was... This was like, I feel like, like just as a Laker fan and like, and just like, not just as a fan, but like as 
an aspiring sports media guy and trying to, and like just watching it and trying to be objective as possible, like just watching this team, like, yeah, it's great. They won, but every game I want, it has to be close. Either it's a blowout loss or a tight, or a tight finish or a tough loss, like the Boston the other night. I feel like there's some great things to look at. I mean, LeBron was the first player in year 20 to, to have a triple-double, 28-10-11. Historic night for him, past Magic Johnson and Steve Nash on the all-time assist list. Rui Hachimura does by far his best game as a Laker so far, 19-9. and mm-hmm. Anthony Davis had 27-9. There are some good things. But they blew a six-point lead with a minute left in regulation. They let up like six straight offensive rebounds in one possession. They have to make things so close. And the Knicks chose to go to the ball down low to Julius Randle instead of Jalen Brunson, who has had the hot hand the entire night. They, I feel like I'm watching like a, I was watching a movie that there's some good performances and you got the win, but man, they always have to make things so difficult. Like, do you ever get that feeling? Like, man, they why have to make this so difficult. I feel like this win was just very ugly. Yeah, watching the Lakers game has more curves in it than a roller coaster. Uh, and that's what it feels like, right? You're up and down all the time. You're at the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And then at the end, you might throw up. And that's kind of what it feels like watching the Lakers, uh, especially as of late because there's and you know how this is Matt there's so much hope there's so much promise they're finally healthy again which means like as a Lakers fan uh our expectation level is is high and it's like now's the finally time they're gonna go on a run and you know you've said it you've said it to me privately and that is sometimes you are what your record says you are uh, I remember specifically because I've covered this team and followed them for the last several years since 2017. Um, but uh, last year in particular, Anthony Davis just kept saying, oh, just you wait. We're going to run off like 10 in a row. We're going to run <laughs> off like 10 in a row. And we kept waiting for them to run off 10 in a row and get back in the playoff picture. And suddenly it never happened. And they missed the playoffs entirely. Uh, this team is is as inconsistent as the weather here in Los Angeles uh, has been over the last several months where it's beautiful and 85 degrees and sunny one day and it's pouring rain the next and it's windy and rainy the next day. It's just been very inconsistent. And that's kind of the Lakers season. You know, sometimes it's uh, the sun is shining and everything's happy and looking like, you know, they might be one of the best teams in the leagues, or at least they can go toe to toe with one of the best teams in the league. Well, then other days they they're struggling to beat the Houston Rockets at home. So uh, this is just the, the inconsistency of this Lakers team. My hope now is if knock on wood, it's a big, if, if this team can remain healthy, looking at you, AD, um, they now have some pieces that they can kind of figure out. This is what we have. These are the matchups we have. This is who we want to close a game with. This is who we want to, you know, if we're down, want to go to, to try to spark us and bring us back. Um, uh, They finally have their full complement of players uh, to be able to now figure this out. But I don't know if you saw my tweet yesterday after the loss to Brooklyn, Matt, 
Um, at that time, they had 31 games remaining on the season. I believe this now means they have 30 games remaining on the season. They, they need to go curr- 19 and 12 the rest of the yeah, way. Yeah, they're currently 500. four games below 500. So uh, now they need to go, I guess, I'm, 17 and 13 the rest of the way, right? I'm to be at 500. I'm currently reading your tweet, and I'll just quote what you said yes, yesterday after the loss to Brooklyn, in which LeBron and AD did not play. You said, quote, Lake Show, hashtag Lake Show, have 31 games left of the regular season. They are five games now, four games below 500. They need to go. Yesterday was 19 and 12. I guess now it's. So it'd be 18 and 12 to stay above 500. Because 17 and 13, you'd be exactly 500. Right. They need to go now 18 and 12 the rest of the way to finish above 500. 20 of the 31 games are against teams over 500, and three of them are against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Who are currently actually not that bad. Only twenty. Right. That's why. Yeah. That's why they're they're just a game below five hundred. And when they play them those three times, uh, and they play them a lot here in the last few months. So get used to playing the Thunder. Um, when they do play them, it's possible the Thunder will be five hundred or better at that time. And here's the other thing. You know, we've been looking at the standings the last month or so, saying, "Oh my gosh, they're only a game out of." 10th which is what they need to do to get into the play-in and only two games out of uh eighth which is what they need to you know host the play-in and then they're only three games out of six and five games out of third they're only three games out of the five spot like that's right. how the western conference is right. right so we look at it and say hey they're right there but here's the problem they're in 13th place so it's not like you can win three games and the number five seed loses three games and you move into fifth you have to leapfrog like nine other teams. And every time I check the stats, it's like uh, the Warriors are winning. The Timberwolves are winning. The Suns are winning. The Thunder are winning. The Trailblazers oh. are winning. So it's like you can't leapfrog these teams unless, you know, you're in sixth and the team who's in fifth is only three, you're three games behind. And then you can actually catch them because, you know, it, it, it's one thing if you can win and take care of your own business, I think things will happen for you. But what happens is is when the other teams in front of you are also winning, you're not moving up. You're still staying in 13th. So it's not just so much the Lakers need to go on a run. You know, they need to go on a run and they need some other teams to get cold. Uh, one of those things that's interesting is I think the Pelicans not too long ago were in third in the West, um, maybe even higher than that at one point. They've gone on like a big losing streak and now they find themselves, you know, around ninth place, uh, right around 500 and, and they in the are play 500. Game, they so. just lost to the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. Just... So they're going to fall down now to, I believe 10th tied for 10th with Utah, 10th, Utah and they were just in third. So yes, if you can get hot, you can rise very quickly, but you can also, if you get cold fall very quickly, because like you said, uh, the West is, is loaded with, you know, 13 teams that we could all see make the playoffs, which is why, ironically, I would love to see um, maybe a format change in the NBA where you just take the 20 best teams overall instead of do conferences. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. Yes, I would like that too. And even in their wins, the Lakers have had, like you mentioned it, like there were some weird wins they had. Like they beat the Houston Rockets by like only eight and LeBron dropped 48 points tonight. Like there was some, when you look at it, 
like his previous, not trying to be redundant, but there were some great things you could take from it. LeBron, 28, 10, 11, plus 22, even though he didn't have a good shooting game, but it showed that he could still make the most important impact on the court. Highest plus minus on the night. Dennis Schroeder, plus 12, plus 12, was the second highest plus minus on the night. Plus 20. Anthony Davis got back to his normal self in the starting lineup, 27 and 9. And new standout, Rui Hachimura, who I thought the Lakers got a great bargain for. Very low risk, high reward. He's fit in very nicely. 19 and 9, played some, had a block that he played really well. And also Russell Westbrook, I know me and you have both have very similar views on him um, for his role, even though he's, according to odds makers, a sixth man of the year. And um, he played very well. And I just was looked up a stat that four of the six that I was, that I'm going to pull this up right here for you, that for about Russell Westbrook. I got to give him credit in the overtime. He came through huge. He had three huge assists in overtime, and he scored or assisted on four of the Lakers' six field goals in the in the extra period. So he he's had some moments. He played very well and was one of the key reasons they won. But if you really looked at it, it took so much out of them just to win. They took all that, and they beat the Knicks by only six. They blew a six-point lead with a minute left in overtime. That's and the biggest thing. Or in regulation, big, you mean. In regulation. regulation. Sorry, yeah. excuse me. In regulation. Um, and they let up six that that possession where they let up six offensive rebounds. Like what the what Yeah, was- like boxed out. Like they need to go do a box out drill. Uh, there's a lot to unpack in kind of what you said. Um and they only shot 71% from the free throw line. Yeah, like but that's just who they are. And that's what people have been criticizing the Memphis Grizzlies about who, you know, might end up as the number one seed in the West when the dust settles, but they are a terrible free throw shooting team. And, and so are the Lakers. And I can't believe we're saying this. um, But, you know, when Russell Westbrook goes one for four from the line, shoots 40% from the free throw or sorry, one for four from the three point line, shoots 40% from the free throw line and is a minus five on the floor, including in my opinion, a really bad mistake down the stretch that helped, you know, the Knicks send that game into overtime, but yet we're still saying he had a good game because he shot above 50% from the field, had eight assists. Like you said, only one turnover, three steals and played well in the overtime to help them get the victory. That's just because there's usually more bad than good with Russell Westbrook. And even there was some bad in today and yet we still go, Oh, he had a good game. So, um, you know, uh, as great as the walking triple double used to be, uh, especially in his thunder days, uh, he's not somebody I hope is still on the Lakers roster come this time next month. Um, I want to talk before we get into LeBron James, who, uh, we both have differences on like where his ranking is among the all-time greatest. Uh, I want to talk about this team about uh, before we get into the team and LeBron, I want to talk about the addition that Rui Hachimura can make to this team. He had 19 and nine and against Boston, even though we, people are always going to remember that game for the most obvious missed call like ever. I mean, anybody with two eyes, and with a bet with a brain could tell that was a foul. 
Rui Hachimura played very well that game as well. He had, uh, he uh, he made an impact in that game. And in this one, this was his biggest standout, I thought, as a Laker. I mean, and I think he provides good size, good length, can shoot the three, good corner three, very efficient night, plus four. What do you think he brings to this Laker team? What extra element does he do you think he brings to this team? And do you think if assuming LeBron and Anthony Davis are both healthy, do you think he's going to be the X factor that could at least get them in the entire playoff discussion? No, I don't think he's an X factor. Um, like you just mentioned, no, but He's an upgrade over Kendrick Nunn, which is the only player really that you gave back in that trade. And, you know, you talk about it and we all consensus, you know, it's we all consensusly agree that Ruji Hachimura had the best game he's had so far with the Lakers. And obviously it's a short sample size, but uh, 19 points, nine rebounds, a block shot 50 percent from the three-point line, hit two of them, shot 67% from the field. That's very efficient. Uh, played good defense for the most part. And here's the other thing. The guy played four, almost 41 minutes in this game tonight. Kendrick Nunn is never getting 41 minutes, like, ever. Um, and even though he started to heat up and had some good games from three sometimes, you know, he can't do the things on the court that, that Hachimura can do. Uh, and he's also going to bring... Uh, a new wrinkle, a new fan base into Los Angeles, into crypto.com arena in these Japanese fans being, you know, one of just three ever Japanese players to play in the NBA. So he's going to add those things and he's a tremendous upgrade over Kendrick Nunn. And he's going to get a lot more runway uh, and playing time on the court than Kendrick Nunn did, which means guys like Lonnie Walker, Max Christie, Wenyan Gabriel are going to get less time now uh, playing because of it. But um, I do think he helps you. I do think he needs to work a little bit more on his perimeter defense. But other than that, I think he's a bigger body. Uh, he can rebound the ball as he's proven. He can shoot a little bit from the three. So I think overall uh, he helps this team to me. I still think you need a rebounder uh, as evident today, by the way, they gave up those six offensive rebounds. You mentioned, I still that, that, think that was, I was like saying like, why don't you just box out? Like, yeah, that's what I was like, saying as well. I was screaming well. my TV, like, what were you doing? Like, yeah, I agree. I was saying the same thing. So, I, but, but this has been a consensus problem with this team for the entire year. They've lacked rebounding. Uh, so I would still like them to, to see them, you know, what, what are we, 10 days now before the trade deadline, nine days or something like that? Yes. I would like to see them get uh, potentially another rebounder. And another shooter. I think they need a better shooter from three. And look, if you're willing to pull the trigger on a trade that ships out Russell Westbrook um, and maybe a guy like Max Christie, who I think has shown enough in the small sample size he's given to maybe be somebody, a, a young team um, that, that wants a young player in return might get. I say do that deal or even a guy like Scotty Pippen Jr. Who was just named to, you know, the, the G league all-stars uh, a guy like that might be somebody, somebody might covet in a trade. So if you can package Westbrook, now that you have Hachimura um, and, and a young guy and maybe a draft pick and you can get a really good guy. And what I, what I mean by really good guy is a all-star level person player. Uh, I would say you do it. 
And there's one that I could think of right now that they could do um, that would solve that problem. And he's on the Phoenix Suns and he's been wanting to play with LeBron James for a long time. And he's a member of the banana boat crew. Uh, I think he'd be a great addition. (laughs) And I'd like to know what Brooklyn's plans with Kyrie Irving are, because I don't think he's going to be on the nets next year. Uh, And if that's the case, why not uh, think about it, moving a trade and, and sending him to LA as well. Uh, and then there's another guy that I have said year after year, and that's Mo Bamba in Orlando, who I think would be a great player uh, to back up Anthony Davis, uh, provide some some time for Thomas Bryant to rest a little bit, and would be a great rebounder. I don't think he's going to play more than you know 10 minutes a game, but he could solve that rebounding problem. He can go big if you need to go big. He's a guy I thought the Lakers would love to have for the last three seasons, uh, yet he doesn't seem to go anywhere. And then finally, we've talked about this, and it's been out there. Bojan Bogdanovic in uh, in Detroit with the Pistons, that guy could provide you rebounding and shooting if you were to be able to pull him off. Uh, and I think if you were willing to to move a guy like Westbrook and, and a young guy, like I said, or maybe even a combination of Pat Bev, Lonnie Walker, and a pick or something, that might get you Bogdanovic if the Pistons are really to move on from him. So those are some options available uh, based on what we talked about. Uh, now, I want to talk about, I know that if you people that follow my Twitter, people follow me on Instagram, joke with me saying that LeBron's like my biggest idol ever. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a Le- I'm Le- I'm the huge LeBron James fan, and I've I think he's personally I think I'm in the minority, but I think he's the greatest ever. And what he's done this throughout his entire career, people can love him, people can hate him, but you cannot deny the unequivocal greatness that he's bestowed upon this league, and he's currently 89 more points away from breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. And he made multiple history achievements tonight in the mecca of basketball, Madison Square Garden. He was the first player in NBA history in year 20 to have a triple-double. That was his first of the year. And from reading your tweets, that was the first, I believe, his first tweet, his first triple-double of the year. This season, yeah. This, this season. season, yes, yes, this season, uh, 28, 10, and 11. And he broke, he passed two people, two people on the all time assist list. He passed Mark Jackson, former Nick at Madison Square Garden, and he passed Steve Nash to move up to fourth all time on the all time assist list. So, in the span of two in a week, he's going, he's top five on the all time assist list, and he's going to be the all time scorer in NBA history and 89 more points away from passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In your opinion, where do you think he, I, we can debate on the go debate forever? Like, I mean, the ball never is never going to bounce here, but where do you think in history will you see LeBron James and the impact he's made like on and off the court, like from this season and from his entire career and his one championship he had with the Los Angeles Lakers. You mean, where do I have him ranked all time as like greatest or just kind of his historic role in the, the sport of the NBA? Both. Yeah. Um, look, I don't, I don't like the goat debate because it's hard to complain. And, and you hear this from like 
actual basketball players all the time. It's so hard to compare players from different eras because the game has changed. The game has evolved. And, you know, unfortunately we can't, you know, maybe in heaven one day or something, but we can't put all these guys on the court in their prime against each other and really see how it is. So uh, you have these time periods, I guess, where, you know, you said for you at your age, uh, LeBron is the goat for you. That makes sense. I don't know how old you were when Michael Jordan, you know, got drafted and first came into the league, but he was my adolescence and childhood growing up. And I got to see him at his prime and I've now gotten to see LeBron at, at his prime and Kobe at his prime. And some of these guys, um, and I even got to see a little bit of Kareem, uh, at the tail end of his career. And to me, Look, we we unequivocally can say Tom Brady is the GOAT in the NFL, right? Right. And we say that because of the six rings and the 10 seven. Super Bowls, seven rings, excuse me, and the 10 Super Bowls uh, and all those accolades. We don't know where he, I mean, I'm sure because he's been playing so long, he's going to rank up in the tops and all the stats. Right. So if we're going off of that, you know, Bill Russell might be, considered a goat for all the rings he has to me going six and oh in the finals six finals mvps to be as dominant as he was to never ask to, to never leave as a free agent to go to another team to never ask to bring in other superstars or whatever to me mike what michael jordan did and accomplished um is more an example of greatness from a, just an individual than LeBron. LeBron, what I've always said from the beginning, even when he was drafted, is he is a physical freak of nature. We have never, ever seen in the history of the NBA or maybe any sport for that matter, somebody who is his size, you know, almost 6'10", closer to 6'10", than, than, you know, other guys who list their height you know, two, three inches taller than they actually are, who could play tight end or linebacker in the NFL and be a Hall of Famer in that sport too. But we've never seen a guy his size, his weight, his strength have that kind of speed, jumping ability, agility, uh, touch, feel, the ability to to throw passes like Magic Johnson, uh, to dunk the ball like mm, Vince Carter, uh, and to shoot the way he can and just have such high basketball IQ. We've never seen anyone like that. He's a physical freak of nature, and we may never, ever see anybody like that. And the fact of the matter is he's what he's doing at year 20 in his age, we've also really never seen before outside of maybe Tom Brady uh, in, in football. To, to stay at such a high elite level for so long is just remarkable. Uh, we saw Kobe deteriorate in front of our eyes after the Achilles injury and then the knee injury. And, you know, it caught up to him. And that's what happens with most guys. LeBron's been very fortunate outside of that groin injury. He's really never had a serious injury that he's had to miss, you know, more than a month or two. I guess uh, it's brain the high ankle injury. Yeah. Had. But you know, maybe a few weeks, a month, but never like significant time. We've, you know, some guys have to miss an entire season, you know, LeBron's never had to do that. That's remarkable. Um, but when we talk about, him, I mean, when he, when he when he does finally decide to retire, whether that's after Bronny or Bryce come into the NBA, when we do finally see that come to an end, I have no doubt he will be 
either number one or in the top five in every major statistical category in the NBA. And that is not necessarily a sign that he is the GOAT. Uh, it's just a sign of his longevity and his ability to play at such a high level for so long. And it will be something we've never seen before. But I think, I mean, what did Michael Jordan finish in scoring? Third, right? Yes, he's he's the, um, wait, uh, yes, he's, so right now on the all-time list, it's Kareem one, LeBron's two, Carl Malone's three, Michael So Jordan. Jordan's four now. Yeah, but Jordan's prior to third. prior to LeBron passing him, he was third. So you're talking about a guy in Michael Jordan who was third in the NBA all-time scoring list, and he retired in his prime and missed two and a half seasons. And then he retired again when he could have kept playing and missed another few seasons before he came back. I have no doubt that if Michael Jordan played as long as LeBron did, as many games, as many seasons, as many years, he would have not only have more rings, probably like eight no in finals, but he also would probably be number one in points right now. And he'd be so far ahead of Kareem that LeBron wouldn't be catching Michael Jordan this year. But Michael Jordan at, at that era in time had accomplished so much and couldn't lose that he wanted another uh, test. He wanted another challenge in his life and so he went and go played baseball because you know after his dad was was tragically murdered you know that was one thing his dad always wanted to see him do so he went to go down that path i personally selfishly would have liked to see michael jordan just dedicate his entire life to basketball the way lebron has played 21 22 seasons you know see him play at a high level if we think about it michael jordan never really got that seriously hurt either so we don't know and if michael jordan you know was able to do what we know know with modern technology with our bodies and and treatment and off-season regimens and all these things you know lebron spends over a million dollars on 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 his body it'd be nice to see if jordan could do the same thing where jordan would rank in all these stats too but to to finally put like a an exclamation mark on your question we will never ever see another player like lebron whether we want to call him the greatest of all time or not we are witnessing greatness in his career, we may never, ever see it again. We may never see someone score as many points as he he does again. But I, I do think with technology and, and, and what we're doing with our bodies and things, we will see a player maybe play until he's 48 or 50. And that alone, he might not be as good as LeBron, but that alone at 25 points per game might be enough to catch a guy like LeBron on the all-time scoring list one day, though. Uh, I hope it does end up staying LeBron. Uh, so... Uh, regardless, he's on the, he's on the Mount Rushmore of the best NBA players of all time. And to me, he physically as a physical specimen as a just physical talent. He's the greatest we've seen as far as, um, somebody, his size, strength, speed, uh, and skill set to do what he can do. It's remarkable. Uh, final question about the Lakers before we dive into your career and other, and other topics. Uh, I don't know if you can reveal like any like huge information but with the trade deadline looming are do you know what are the lakers plans going forward uh in order to improve this roster because let's be let's call a spade a spade here with the current roster construction even with the rui hachimura trade which he's been very good so far this is not like a, a contending roster we can both agree with that and any objective nba fan and laker fan for that matter can agree with that as well 
Do you know of any trades or anything they're trying to make at this point in order to improve this roster to at least make themselves a playoff team? Wait, before you say that, are you saying that the roster constructed as it stands now can't win a championship and everyone agrees with that? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. See, I just dis- I disagree with that. Um are the odds against you? Yeah. Is is health going to have to play a huge role? Yeah. Is it hard when you've buried yourself in a 10-foot hole? And you have to try to dig yourself out of it. And you know how, you know, you know, the energy and physical toll that it's going to take on these guys and their bodies to just try to get into the playoff playoffs, like you mentioned. A play in a, that matter. Yeah. yeah or, yeah, or the, the play, or, 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 yeah, or the top six. Like it's a lot. Like players talk about it when they go down 20 and they're able to make a comeback and, and close the gap and, and tie the game or take the lead. Just the toll it takes to try to get back in the game, the energy, the effort that you need to do that. You're talking about, now, four games below 500, having to, like we just said, with 30 games left in the season, having to really win 70% of those games to put yourself in a position uh, to, to make a run at a title. And that alone could take such a physical toll on them that they just may run out of gas, unfortunately, uh, in, in that case. But do I think the roster as constructed right now with like Hachimura on it and a healthy LeBron and AD and, and Westbrook coming off the bench um, could compete for a championship? Yeah, because I've seen them beat Denver twice and especially beat Denver shorthanded. I've seen them beat Memphis. Um, I've seen them should have beat Boston twice. Uh, you know, so I've seen them. I, I've seen them beat the teams that are going to be considered championship uh, caliber teams. And the West and the East is so loaded that we don't know what's going to happen. All these teams are going to beat up on each other here in the final couple months of the season. So do I think they could win a championship? Yes. Um, with the roster, the way it's constructed. Yes. With that said, can it get better and help improve their odds? Yes. Um do I know of any trades that they're trying to do? Look, I know Rob Palinka is actively doing whatever he can to try to make this team better. And I honestly believe that Rob Palinka thinks and and knows that they need a big, like I said. Um, I think what Thomas Bryant has done is great. And I think that helps. But I think Damian Jones now is not getting any run whatsoever. He's not very good. I don't know why they went out and got him as a free agent. If I would try to trade him. I'd try to trade maybe like a Lonnie Walker or a Pat Bev or a Max Christie, like we said, and I would try to go get a big. Um, I do know that 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 they've been in, interested in Mo Bamba for several years now. I know they're interested in Miles Turner, but he's off the book. I think that Miles Turner buddy heel deal that he turned down in the offseason, the preseason, I think that was a mistake. I would have made that deal. If you could have gotten Kyrie in the offseason, I would have made that deal. Um, I know the Spurs are a team to look at at the deadline. They're tanking. They don't want to really compete. They know they're not going to make the postseason. And there's pieces that can be plucked from that team. Jakob Podol is one as we talk about bigs. That could be a guy the Lakers could get as a backup big. Uh, will they would take Damian Jones or something? I don't know. Josh Richardson is a guy uh, I could see maybe moving uh, from the Spurs as well. So there's some guys on the Spurs that I think could be had. 
I don't think they have a problem with um, doing a deal with the Lakers. Uh, I don't know right now if they have anybody on their roster. I'm talking about the Spurs. That would be worth moving Westbrook for. Uh, to me, if you're going to move Westbrook, you need to get a star back in return. Um, as I mentioned earlier, if you can land a guy like Chris Paul, then I would move Westbrook for that. If you can land a guy like Kyrie Irving, then I would move Westbrook for that. Um, uh, and if you can get some shooting and some bigs and a bigger deal, then I would maybe move Westbrook for that. Uh, I know they have been interested in in Bojan Bogdanovic even when before that when he was with the Jazz and before he got traded to Detroit, but. <laughs> I just think that the Pistons asking price is probably going to be too high. They're probably going to want at least one of those two first round picks uh, and some young players in return. Uh, and I just don't know with the contract extension he signed with the Pistons, if that's worth it for the Lakers long-term. Um, I don't know. I'd love to see them get like a guy like Gary Trent Jr. If he's potentially available, uh, Doug McDermott is another guy in the Spurs. I know might help their shooting. I don't know how much playing time he'd get with the Lakers, but he's another guy I think that could be had. So those are the names that I'm hearing right now. I know they're not sexy names by any, by any means, but those are the trades that I think you're going to potentially see them have a shot at making, uh, you know, in the next eight or nine days. Like we said, I don't think, the names I mentioned, the Kyries, um, the Buddy Heels, the Miles Turner, the Terry Rosiers, the Gordon Haywoods. I don't think any of those are going to happen for this team. Uh, very, um, very well um, state, very well stated and reported uh, with the, your insight. Now, I want to talk a bit about you and your um, illustrious career and the awards you've won. Um, what made you... Um, start off i know you your master's was at usc but you actually were an undergrad at university of california in santa barbara where you won the paul lazarus screenwriting scholarship award and the corwin writing award and from what i did my research on you you participated in a variety of different sports track and basketball football etc um, what made you, what prompted you to want to be a sports writer and when did this all start? Like, when was your aha moment that said, that's what I want to do. And, and I want to cover all LA teams. I want to cover the Lakers, Dodgers, USC, et cetera, work for NBC. What prompted you to want to be in this business? Yeah, great question. And this is probably where I'm going to disappoint many of your listeners uh, who listen out there because I never wanted to be a sports writer or a sports journalist. That was never um, an ambition or a goal or the dream job or anything like that growing up. And even how I became a sports writer and sports journalist, I cut cut corners and got a shortcut. Um, and got very, very lucky and fortunate. I didn't have to go the way that most people have to go and pay my dues and climb up the ladder and, you know, be broke for, for long periods of time. Um, you know, as you trying to like work your way up from internship to, you know, small writing gig to covering a beat to whatever it may be, I, I got to bypass a lot of that. And I, I do understand I'm very fortunate for that. But what I can say to your listeners is this. And I was actually literally just having this conversation with a friend of mine at dinner the other night. And that is like, 
what I did know I always wanted to be from a very young age was a storyteller, whether it was writing books like kids books, children books when I was five years old or four years old, when I was I would give speeches um, that I would write on my own all through elementary school. And I won every speech contest we ever had. I won every book writing contest we ever had. Um, by the time I got into like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, like middle school years, they took, they call them. Uh, I was writing screenplays and shooting movies with my dad's video camera. I was writing plays, uh, for my cousins and friends and family. Like I was just telling stories at the end of the day, the bottom line is I was just telling stories, uh, going into high school, uh, I would write movies. I would write poems. I would write short stories. I was just always writing stories. And I always wanted to be a storyteller. Now, the other part of my life, my entire life growing up, was sports because I also am a competitor and I love competition and I love to win. Uh, and I love like the feeling of achieving personal goals and, um, you know, everything that goes in as far as, you know, Kobe used to say, uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And I love like the journey and everything that has to go into winning, um, you know, what, regardless of whether it may be. So yeah, like growing up, I wanted to play every single sport and, and part of me kind of regrets it to this day because I'm not a professional athlete. And part of me is like, mom, maybe you shouldn't have let me play every single sport I wanted to play. Maybe you should have taught me like the guitar or the piano or the violin or something, or, you know, I wish I also could have learned like five languages at that age, but no. And she was like, but you didn't want to do those things, Michael. You wanted to play soccer. You wanted to play football. You wanted to play basketball. You wanted to run track. You I like, I wanted to play every single sport. And like, even now, like I have a pickleball court in my backyard. Like I want to play pickleball and I want to be the best pickleball player, like, you know, in LA, that's non-professional. Like I just always like the competition and, and those things. So having played all those sports and being a fan of sports, my whole life, Lakers, Dodgers. Um, I was actually a 49ers fan cause we didn't have a football team in LA growing up and the 49ers were the shit in the nineties. So like, I always wanted to, to, you know, wanted to be like Jerry Rice or Joe Montana or Steve Young and those guys. So these are the teams I like growing up. What I didn't know then, which has taken me years and experience to, to know now, is that sports are arguably the greatest storytelling because it's completely unscripted. It is completely unpredictable. And if you dig deep enough to tell the actual stories of these athletes and players and the characters that you're watching on this stage, which is a live athletic competition, not something that has a predetermined ending, then you'll find how the, the depth and depravity and the richness and fullness uh, of these people that you're watching, of these characters that you're watching in this story. Um, and when you know those stories, it makes it better, right? Why did we love this World Cup, uh, this most recent World Cup with Argentina winning. It was because of the story of Lionel Messi and everything that he's had to go through and all of the losses in the World Cup finals and the tragedies he's had to go bestow upon him and being told he was too small and 
everything to finally see him at almost 38 years old or 37 years old lift that World Cup trophy. Like everyone loved that story. You know what I mean? That is why if if Lionel Messi wasn't on Argentina and Argentina had just won, it would not have the same gravitas uh, of it that that it would with with us knowing the history and the story of Messi behind it. So. So I, I just know I always wanted to be a storyteller. So that was high school. I go to college and I just kept doing what I was always doing. And that was telling stories uh, in different mediums. I did it through theater. I did it through um, screenwriting, teleplays, screenplays. My my emphasis uh, as a film major in undergrad was in screenwriting. And it was just, again, just another way to tell stories. And uh, I, I sold a screenplay. I got a lot of money for it. Uh, I, I then went into, I kind of got on a sidetrack of being a storyteller for a little bit of a chunk of my young adult life because... Um, my stories were so good in the screenplay that they wanted me to work, be an agent and work for actors and all these things and help them. And I got so enamored with the Hollywood lifestyle and, and the entertainment industry and the perks that come with it and going to Sundance and Cannes and film festivals and film premieres uh, and just hanging out with famous people and celebrities that I kind of got away from what I believe my gift is and what I've always wanted to do, which is be a storyteller. And so to, to answer your question, I was living in New York. I was working as a talent agent and I went to this local sports bar that was around the corner from my apartment in Tribeca. And I was watching USC play Oregon. And this was when Lane Kiffin was the, the head coach of USC during the really dark um, sanction years because of Reggie Bush, who was one of my favorite players. I went to, when I was in grad school, Reggie Bush was destroying USC on the football or, or on the football field, just becoming one of the best college football players I've ever seen. And so just loved him because I was there at the same time he was. And anyways, I'm watching and USC beats Oregon, who I think was ranked top five at the time with a last second field goal. And I'm running around the bar going crazy and I just see one other guy who was running around the bar going crazy with me and we became friends and it just so happened he was the sports editor of Newsweek uh, there in New York and he had gone to USC and he actually wanted to be in film and he just ended up by chance as a editor of sports because he also likes sports and I was like, well, I'm in the entertainment industry. I can help you with those ambitions, but... I've always loved sports and I want to become a storyteller again. Like I need to get back to writing stories. So that just like chance meeting bonding over a mutual love and admiration for USC football got me going down a different path, like a different parallel universe in which I started writing about sports. And that led to a job offer to cover the World Cup in 2014 in Brazil, which I jumped at and I quit my job as an agent and went to Brazil and Rio de Janeiro and the Coca Cabana and covered my first ever World Cup. And at the time, I didn't know anything about soccer except for when I played it as a kid, but fell in love with soccer all over again. I, I still now say to this day, it's the greatest sport to watch live. Uh, just because you have to hinge and be on the edge of your seat for every play, every moment, because one goal can 
be the only goal that's ever scored the game, or sometimes no goals can be scored in a game and it can be a zero zero draw. But um, that changed my life. Those that chance meeting and that opportunity to go to the World Cup completely changed my life. And I fell in love with storytelling again. I realized this is my passion. This is what I need to be doing. And I get to tell the story of sports. Um, and that's not all I do. I do tell other stories too. During the pandemic, I wrote another screenplay. I'm going to be writing a novel soon. Um, that's fiction. So it's not all I do. What I do is, is I'm a storyteller and I, 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 don't worry about the sports. I just worry about the characters and the story that I'm telling. And that's just kind of where I'm at. And it just so happens that I've been successful at doing that simply because that's what I focus on, if that makes sense. And not necessarily the sport or the rules or things like that. That that That's an amazing story. It, 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 you were a storyteller, a screenwriter. And, wow. I could have heard that story. I could have heard that story for like three more hours. That's like very intriguing, like your whole story and like, and what you were able to do with it, with your screenwriting and, and your passion for movies and that, and just one person that you had to share a common interest with at a bar going crazy. Yeah. And what were the odds of that? Yeah. And that's, and that's what I tell people. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, one thing you learn from life is life is all about timing. Um, had I ran into that guy five or six years prior, like just starting in the entertainment industry, maybe I tell him to fuck. They may tell him to f off. No, no, you know? you curse on this podcast. Okay, well, maybe I tell him to fuck off and <laughs> and be like, "That's great that you work for Newsweek, but I'm a fucking agent, you know, and I'm gonna work in Hollywood and doing movies and stuff. And maybe I don't jump at the chance to." you know, work for Newsweek and write about sports um, because it, it takes timing and and perspective to, to and, and also experience to like learn about yourself and these different things. And it came at a time when I was unhappy being an agent and I wanted to go back to storytelling and I was not feeling satisfied in my life. And this person comes into my life at this time, giving me an opportunity that you know, I might have just completely passed on years prior, but this time I, I took it. And so that kind of like, you know, to go back to your original point, when you were talking about like being a sports writer or being a sports journalist, I like I said, I never had those ambitions or desires or dreams. I know a lot of people do. I know people go to four-year universities. And, and, and honestly, I've mentored a lot of these people. Uh, they go to four-year universities. They major in journalism. They write about the college teams. They do. They they go to a newspaper in some small town, making little to no money, covering high school sports, prep sports. They grind. They write for free. They do whatever they can. And you know, ten years later, they might finally get a beat job. You know, at a major newspaper that that pays a living. And then maybe one day, if they're lucky enough, they get to become a columnist or something. But um, I didn't. I didn't go that route. I didn't go the traditional route. I just was like. I'm going to, I want to be a storyteller and that's kind of what guided me. And so I hope, you know, the next 10, 20 years of my life, even if I do st still stay in sports, that I'm more known as a storyteller and that I've told stories in different mediums, in different ways. Uh, and, 
And I think though, that because of my love of sports and competition, that it will always be a part of my life. And it will always be a part of the stories that I tell because there is just something about, uh, competition that, that creates drama that creates these, these characters and different things like that, that I love. And that I know audiences and readers love. So, um, yeah, I, I, what, regardless of what happens, I think, and I hope that I just, I just still am a storyteller for the rest of my life. What were some of the fate, your favorite sports stories that you covered, um, from your times at NBC and who were your favorite interview subjects, uh, from your time? Like, as a, excuse me, as a sports writer, like for NBC or that, or where? Yeah. Another, another great question. Um, I've been fortunate. I'd like to talk about this and I shout out to the Rams. Thank you for winning. Um, the Super Bowl, <laughs> the Super Bowl and not blowing it last year. Thanks for Cooper Cup for catching it. Matthew Stafford for throwing it. Aaron Donald for and even, you know, and even better basically Stafford. saving him defensively. Even Stafford throwing it to Cup. Oh, yeah, that's what I said. On Eli Apple. Which yeah. Is, which is even better. Yeah. So thank you for that. And the reason why I say that is because the first year I was a sports journalist, obviously I got to cover World Cup live. That was amazing. But I don't, I don't, who knows if the United States will ever win a world cup in my lifetime, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about LA sports, which is the market I cover and where I grew up and the teams that I love. So I got to watch the LA galaxy win the championship in 2014 live, got to watch the Kings win the Stanley cup in 2014 live. That's MLS and NHL right there. Obviously, LAFC winning it now, too. So I've gotten to see that. Um, got to see the Dodgers win the World Series finally in 2020. Uh, I got to see the Lakers win uh, in 2010, but I wasn't in sports journalist yet. But as a writer and sports journalist, got to see the Lakers win in the bubble uh, in 2020. Got to see and cover the Rams win a Super Bowl. Um, so for the most part, I have every major professional sport in the LA market. I have seen the team that I love and grew up watching win live as a sports journalist in the press box, getting to go in the locker room after and be a part of the celebration. And that's amazing. I can't tell you, like I was talking to you about like the perks of, of working in the entertainment industry, but the perks of being a to me, and this is why I, the pandemic was so difficult, but the perks of being a sports journalist is the front row seat behind the scenes access you get to these players uh, and their characters and their story. You get to see the daily struggle for them, what they go through, what they go through with their family, what they go through on a personal basis. And then you get to celebrate with them and watch it all and be covered in beer and champagne and be on the field as the confetti falls probably less than 0.1% of the world gets that kind of access or to be a part of that. And I get to, and that's amazing. And thanks. And, and, you know, depending on what market you're in, let's say you're in San Diego, you've never seen that, you know, you've never been a part of a San Diego sports team winning a championship. Uh, so I've been very fortunate covering LA teams and in such a short period, just, you know, eight, nine years gotten to see, every major professional sports team in the LA market win a championship and be a part of it. Those are some of my favorite moments just um, in doing it because it's just so special. Uh, and like I said, the journey it takes to go from 
you know, a kid with a dream to winning a championship and, and holding that trophy at the end uh, with your teammates in these in these instances is just so amazing to watch and be a part of. Uh, and then the stories that I have told that are my favorite stories that I've gotten to tell. Um, and it kind of goes along with your question about like the, the people I get to interview. Um, there are some people I enjoy interviewing. There's some people I don't really enjoy interviewing. You know, that's just kind of people's personalities and stuff. But moreover, for me, it's about the stories and that I've gotten to tell. And it's just so funny and just so happens that the ones that are my favorite stories to tell are the ones that end up somehow getting nominated for awards or winning awards and things like that. And that's not a coincidence, Matthew. That's because they're really good stories. And when other people get to read them, if they're told the right way uh, and by the right person, then they're going to do well. So Andrew Tolls, this might be a guy that nobody knows who he is. Um, he was a player with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He has suffered with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder his entire life. He was drafted in the first round, I believe, by the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, after becoming minor league player of the year with the Rays, he was kicked off the team because he had these mental health issues, but they were undiagnosed. Nobody knew about him. He had no place to go. He moved home to Georgia with his family, where his family was, and he worked at a Kroger grocery store bagging groceries and stocking groceries at 5 a.m. He was out of baseball. His whole life was about to be over, and he started to watch YouTube videos about baseball again, and he got the itch again. He started practicing and playing and working on his swing, and he got a call from Andrew Friedman, the Dodgers, who had originally drafted him when he was with Tampa Bay, and he said, uh, you know, I can't promise you anything, but I can give you a tryout with the team, and I can put you in single A, like single A, class A. And in one season, he went from single A, class A, all the way to the major leagues. He hit a grand slam walk-off home run to send his team to the playoffs. He played in the playoffs in 2016 in Chicago, going all the way to the National League Championship Series against the Cubs. Uh, you know, and came back in 17 and 18, and and now, you know, is had some famous story where he was arrested for being homeless. He's been homeless. Like this man's story is absolutely incredible. That is a guy whose story I love to tell. And I, I enjoyed interviewing um, and talking to another one is Jake Olson. Uh, he, he was at, he, he was at USC just these last few years. I think he just graduated last year. Uh, he's the first blind athlete to ever play in a college football game. And he was the long snapper for the USC kicking team. And his story is incredible. Um, he was born with a rare eye condition. He lost his eye at a very young age, but he had one eye. So he could see out of one eye until he was like 14 years old. And then the the, the rare cancer condition came back uh, and he lost his, his other eye. And I, I remember what was amazing about this story was uh, his parents asked him, the night before his surgery, the day before his surgery, okay, this is the last time you're going to be able to see anything. What do you want to do? And think about that. If somebody asked you that, Matthew, like you were going to lose your sight, what was the last thing you'd want to see? 
But Jake said he wanted to go see USC play. And so they went to a practice and Pete Carroll brought him on and let him watch a USC practice at like 13 years old. The next day he lost both of his, his, his other eye and he was completely blind. And yet this didn't stop this kid. Uh, he continued to travel with USC that season. He became one of Pete Carroll's favorite people. He loved USC. When he got to high school, he was so in love with football. He's like, I got to find a position that I can play as a blind player. Long snapper happened to be the one he did. And this guy gets to play in a college football game and snap extra points, uh, for USC. That's, that's an amazing story, an amazing dream, an amazing guy I like to interview because of what he was over able to overcome in his life. Um, there's just stories like that that I like to to tell and I, I like to to be a part of. Uh those are the athletes I like to interview, the ones that have had I always when I when I do my interviews with athletes like on one-on-ones that we do for broadcast on NBC or for TV, one of the questions I like to ask them is I I don't know, let's take a guy like LeBron James, right? And I haven't had a chance to sit down and do a one-on-one with LeBron James yet. I've interviewed him many times, but not like one-on-one on TV. But obviously, we know LeBron James is a what four-time NBA champion. I don't know how many time MVP, four-time, maybe five four-time MVP, five-time four, MVP, four-time multiple, NBA champion, nineteen-time uh, NBA All-Star, yeah, nine-time-time All-Star, nineteen times, uh, four-time NBA champion, four-time Finals MVP, four-time Finals MVP. Is he a four? four is he five-time MVP? Right, regular MVP, five. Four. Four, two thousand and not two thousand nine, twenty ten, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. Right. So, like the the accolades and accomplishments for this guy is amazing. We know that now he's about to become the NBA's all time leading scorer. But what I like to ask athletes in in my interviews with them, especially ones like these who've had who've accomplished so much in their sport, is I like to say we all know what the highs are. What were the lows? Tell me about the lowest point in your life. Tell me about the hardest thing you've ever had to overcome. Tell me about the time that you were ready to give up and you didn't think you were going to make it. Like we all see the light, but I want to know the dark because that's part of the journey too. It's not just all the accolades and the rings and the awards and all that. It's about those dark times. And that is always the questions that I like to ask in interviews. Sometimes players and athletes are not comfortable talking about them. Sometimes they are. And if I do my job right, I'm able to get them to talk about it and get it out of them. But that is where you learn the true test of these characters. That is where you learn what they're made of, what they've had to overcome, their journey. And that is when it becomes so much more special when you see them reach these highs because you know what they've been through on the other side. And without that, then, you know, what are we doing? We're not really learning the art of storytelling. We're not really asking the right questions. Then we're just doing a game recap and we're talking about what happened or something. And so those are the kind of questions I like to ask Uh all athletes. And that is why I've been able to tell stories I've been able to tell and have success at it because the ones that have gone through so much and they'll tell you about it. Those are the ones that are the the stories that I want to tell. And then the interviews I like to do. 
Uh, you recently are now an editor for the upcoming Sporting Tribune, and you and uh, you obviously have seen the columns that I've that I um, contribute to the NFL against the spread sports betting ones, which off topic haven't gone that great, <laughs> but that's a, a subject for another day. Um, you did it, um, and and you've done an excellent job being that being a prime editor for the sporting tribune just recently. And what have you learned from Arash Markazi, who's one of the most prominent LA sports media journalists? What have you learned from him that's helped you become the best reporter you could be and the best writer you could be? I hope Arash doesn't listen to this because I haven't learned anything from him that has made me like the best writer or the best reporter that I could be. And that's not a knock on him. Right. Um, but I have actually learned a lot from him. And you want to talk about other characters that have been through so much in their life. Arash is one of them. Arash, a non-Hodgkin's lymphophobic cancer survivor. Um, you know, the, the, the the tribulations and obstacles he had to go through during his time with the Los Angeles times, um, the, the lean years with the Clippers before he got to be a part of some of the high years with the Clippers, uh, his, his struggles with weight and his weight loss journey, like all of these amazing things are a testament to who he is and put in perspective, like life, not like I said, not sports writing or sports reporting, just life. And what I've learned from him is you can go through all that and still just be a phenomenal human being. You can still have a positive attitude and take a positive attitude into life every single day. And Arash is someone who's so giving and so generous and so friendly, and it's a hundred percent genuine. It's not, there's a lot of people who are like fake fake and phony happy and phony nice and you know you turn around they'll talk shit behind your back he's not like that at all and so i've learned a lot about just being a good person and being a good human being from arash uh markazi because uh if you know his story you know what he's gone through a lot of people would not have that positive outlook on life not be as optimistic as as he is and so i try to remind myself of that a lot and also, you know, I'm um, very close friends with obviously with him and we've been very close for like, shoot, like almost 10 years now. Um, very close with his fiance, Ashley, um, their story of how they met and they went to USC together and they worked on the school newspaper. And, you know, she had like a little crush on him and thought he was cute, but they never talked. And then they end up finding each other, you know, 15 some odd years later. That's a great story, too, and something that he has long, long deserved. Um from those aspects. So, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a pros pro and, and he can teach you. He's definitely taught me things about this industry that I didn't, you know, I didn't know about. He's taught me just, I don't know how to be professional and how to just keep a positive mindset and outlook and stuff. But it's that, like I said, it's that, how he is as a person and that genuineness to him is why he is so successful. It's why athletes love him and talk to him and because they can see it and feel it too, if that makes sense, you know, like if you're out to write a hit piece against somebody and 
I don't know, you're kind of being tricky or whatever. They can sense that. If uh, if a journalist is not genuine and they're not as invested or whatever, they can sense that. So just Arash as a person is, he is who you've seen and he is friendly and genuous and giving and nice and optimistic and positive. And so he has all these tremendous connections and relationships in this world of sports because he's just been himself from the very beginning. And he hasn't tried to be fake or phoning or more than he is or anything like that. And athletes sense that and see, feel that and they trust him and then they talk to him and they give him the information. So like I said, Arash and I've had a friendship for a very, very long time. When he approached me, I think it was actually like late 2021 even, that he wanted to start a sports media company. He wanted to start a website and do all these things. Um you know, I joked at first, you can't afford me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I was like, but, but, but joking aside, I told him, man, doesn't like, I was like, doesn't matter. Whatever you need, I'm here for like you, whatever you need for me, I'm here for you. And I will support you and do that because he's always been that for me. So, um, yeah, whatever he needs needs or whatever he does, he's going to be successful at it because he's just, um, always going to be true to himself. And that's also very important. So, I know, I know that didn't answer your question as far as like what he's taught me or the lessons I've learned or, or things that he's done as a sports writer or sports reporter, but uh, I guess just being yourself and, and true to yourself and being kind to everybody and genuine and friendly and nice and optimistic and positive uh, is what I've learned from him and, and, and how important that is. No, that, that, that's a perfect answer to my question for sure. Um, my final question for you um, I, I'm sure you've answered this uh, during this interview. What advice would you give to aspiring podcasters or media people like me or anybody that's trying to break into your position? What is your biggest advice and biggest lessons you would give to any of these aspiring uh, media members or journalists? What's your biggest key of advice? I mean, there's probably not just one, but my first thing would be to whatever you want to do, um, whether it's you want to be a writer, you want to be a reporter, you want to be a podcaster, you want to be a radio host, you want to be whatever it may be. In this, it's the same thing for life, but when we're talking just in the industry of sports journalism, whatever you want to be, like do it as much as you can. It's like Kobe used to say, you you know, the, you're a Lakers fan. You remember Kobe tears his Achilles against the Warriors. Painful. Uh, he's grabbing at it. He has no idea really what's going on. He thought Harrison Barnes tripped him or something. And what's the first thing he does when they come out of that timeout? Shots free throws. Walks up there with a torn Achilles and sinks two free throws and walks off the court. How was he able to do that with a torn Achilles? I asked him that. And it was because muscle memory, he said. I've shot those free throws a million times, just muscle memory at that point, right? Ignore the pain, ignore this, just muscle memory. So that's a physical example of muscle memory, but if you can treat, teach your mind to practice the art of writing as many sports stories you want or just stories in general, doing as many podcasts as you can, interviewing as many people as you can, doing as much TV reporting as you can, doing as much radio shows as you can, it becomes muscle memory for you and you can only become better at it. 
uh, as time goes on. That's a big piece of advice. The next thing I would say, and this is just for me, but I think it would be for anybody who wants to work in this business, and that's learn the art of storytelling. Don't worry about sports. Learn the art of storytelling. I can't tell you how many people I've mentored um, or done these conferences for. I've been guests on different things and panels and these you know, young sports journalism students come up to me and they're like, I, I, I'm really good at MMA and UFC. I can be a really good MMA UFC writer. Someone's like, I played tennis. I'll be really good at tennis. <laughs> I'm like, dude, or, or dude or dudette, don't worry <laughs> about sports. Like I have people who like, like a Rosh is a great example. I'm going to throw a Rosh under the bus right now. <laughs> um, when the world cup started, I was like a Rosh, we really need to cover the world cup at TST. Uh, we need to get as many writers as we can writing about the world cup. And he's like, well, not that many writers know about soccer. I'm like, they don't fucking, they don't have to fucking have to know about soccer. Like if they want to know the rules of soccer, I'll teach them the rules about soccer. What they need to know is about storytelling so we can tell the stories of these players and these teams in the World Cup because that's all people care about and want to to know and read about and watch. So, um, you know, don't worry about the sport. Don't worry if, if you know it or not, or if you good at one sport or not, learn the art of storytelling and you'll be able to to tell the story of, of any sport, any player, any athlete. Um, and once you do that in your career, everything else will come easy. Everything else will just come so easy. And that's the best advice I can give to like young people out there. Work your butt off, uh, work hard, work, write as many as you can, work as many as you can, do as much as you can in whatever you want to do. Uh, and then learn the art of storytelling and don't worry about the rest of it. That was very well said. Um, Michael, Michael J. Duarte, thank you so much for joining uh, the Soft the Dome podcast. This was, I'm, I feel very inspired. <laughs> I'm ready to just go write another article right now, despite it being 1242 a.m., the time of this recording. I, I feel ready, inspired to write more articles now. Do it. Practice makes perfect. And hopefully you will become better at writing. You will become better at podcasting. You'll become better at telling stories than you are at making NFL playoff predictions okay, all right, against all right. the spread. I, 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 um, I, I got that. I got that. <laughs> they, thank you so much for joining the Alpha Dome podcast. Uh, this was very, this is great. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to another edition of the Off the Dome podcast. Have a great day and a great night. Go get them.